Welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SeedSync.com. I am your host, Artie Kulik, and with me here is the one man I'm going to need next to me with his, what, crossbow or whatever when the world comes to an end, or you know, with his Nick Offerman friend or whatever, and that's the greatest other yeah. host, Ty. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm not sick this week, but I sound the same because of allergies. It's that season in St. Louis again. It's an old joke, obviously, being back from St. Louis, but it's like if you don't like the weather, just wait because it changes constantly. I've lived here in Cincinnati now well over a decade and a half and don't have to worry about it till the last week. So (laughs) thank you all for the global warming. It's really helping us out a lot around here. But I I was out running with my buddy yesterday and I had to excuse myself off the trail three separate times so I could blow my nose into the woods. That's how bad it's been Mm -hmm. in St. Louis. I can't even cook. uh, You can't have open flames today. It's like called a red flag warning, which means I can't even cook barbecue today because I might set the whole city on fire. Nuts. Yeah. What a a world we live in, man. Well, that's okay. Don't worry. It's going to, I know here it's going to be like 45 degrees on Sunday. On Saturday, it's supposed to be, I think the high in St. Louis is like 52. Well, this is a good talk because I'm going to talk to you about the musical score to the end of the world. Okay. There's two particular albums I'm going to talk about here. Almost kind of like it's not really first watch, rewatch. It's more I listened and now I want you all to listen. And this comes from there's a a Twitter person, a pulp librarian actually said, have you ever heard of this? This first album I'm going to talk about in the first half here. And then it made me think of another album I had. Now, before we get to them, before we get to the kicking musical score to the end of the world, I got to talk to you a little bit about progressive rock or prog Mm -hmm. rock. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Yeah, I'm familiar. Like I dabbled in King Crimson for a while. Arctic Monkeys put out what they considered a prog rock album. And I do enjoy the band Mars Volta, but that's about it to my knowledge when it comes to prog rock. To be fair, now the the very loose definition is it's kind of a musical movement that came out of the United Kingdom in the United States in the early 70s. And most rock music at the time had a, a mix of like jazz, folk, or classical music. Prog rock kind of took all that and progressed it, moved it forward. The mm-hmm. songs tended to be really long. You talked about King mm-hmm. Crimson. There's almost a, a drama aspect to the music. Uh, yep. I think of something like the Moody Blues and Nights in White Satin. And then they would also use a lot of electronic stuff in order mm-hmm. to, as a matter of fact, the first album I talk about is has created a lot of new musical ideas, a lot of musical influences. Now, you mentioned all those bands, but I do have to say, a lot of people really associate Led Zeppelin and pre-wall Pink Floyd as kind of the heights of progressive rock. Aren't they just rock music? I mean, I went to a Mars Volta show that was over two and a half hours long, and I think <laughs> was I remember, it like three songs? I, say, I think I remember <laughs> like writing down how many songs. I think there were eight total songs. Yeah, that's, and that's kind of what this is, and that's why this is going to really feed heavily into what I'm talking about. Now, I mean, I would consider Zeppelin blues rock, not even close to... But Zeppelin had, I mean, you didn't play Dungeons and Dragons like I did. There's no. a lot of Zeppelin influences. Well, they talk about the hot <laughs> too, but like like Pink Floyd, I get it. You listen to Dark Side of the Moon, that's a theme album. You listen to The Wall, they made a movie, that's a theme album. What? I, there's really no, I guess, I don't know, maybe... I love Led Zeppelin. I love Pink Floyd. I don't know that I consider either of them progressive rock. Now, and a lot of people, though, will also look at the album Sgt. Pepper and pull it up as kind of one of the highlights of the progressive rock movement. I'm not on board with that. As a matter of no, fact, that's, 
Yeah, I, I would. There's there's no world where I would consider the Beatles prog. This first part, I'm just going to kind of do a really top level thing. Originally, I was going to do the whole podcast on this, but there's a reason you'll see at the end that I didn't want to. You think of Sgt. Pepper's. You Now, I think you go back to early Pink Floyd. Like I said, Animals, even up to Dark Side of the Moon. They have a very progressive rock feel to them, but they feel sure. kind of out of time in their own place. Mm-hmm. Whereas you take things like King Crimson or Sticks or Rush or these types of bands, they all share um, Jethro Tull. They all share kind of some similarities, whereas a Sticks and a Rush sound like, for their time, more of a futuristic synthesizer-heavy music. Uh, King Crimson and Jethro Tull are more... What's the best word to use? Orchestral, I guess. In I just say of the four bands you name there, too, I only like one of them. And not even that I like King Crimson. I think the musicianship is incredible. I'm not a huge fan. No, of no. Music. Right. It is. But it, <laughs> you understand or I hope the audience understands yeah. what I mean by progressive rock. It's unfortunately yeah. been thrown a huge net. And even the two albums I talk about today, Ty, are very different in style. Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to cut in here because. I'm about to make a big mistake. I'm going to be talking about an album from My Chemical Romance, and the album is called The Black Parade. And it's a great album. It's an album I really appreciate, but I did not write it down in my notes. I just kind of took it off the top of my head. And in my haste, I kept calling it The Black Band. So I know those of you that are big fans of My Chemical Romance or people that know this album, you are going to be saying, Artie, you're an idiot. So I am here preemptively to tell you I am an idiot. It is The Black Parade. I encourage everyone to go out and listen to it. So let's get back to the conversation. Even to the point of, I remember a lot of people consider My Chemical Romance's peak album is The Black Band, which I will tell everybody out there, don't, I know people think My Chemical Romance, oh, you like them and Vampire Weekend and all that other stuff, (laughs) emo bands. The Black Band is, uh, it's about cancer. It's about somebody knowing they have cancer and they're going to die. And it is absolutely incredible. It is. I've never listened to My Chemical Romance. Oh, so. this is a great album. It's a it's a concept album, though. But I sure. wouldn't call it prog rock. A lot of people would. I mean, it's closer to American Idiot and almost a proto-punk. And then I know a lot of people put Jan- Janelle Monet. She did uh, two different concept albums. I forgot the name of the first one, but the second one's called The Arch Android. And they're concept albums based off the old German film Metropolis. Mm. It's more of a hip-hop orchestra type sound if you really listen well, to isn't it. concept albums different from prog rock that's what i mean i think a lot of people throw a big net over prog rock that it, it brings in some of these concept albums uh drive it's by truckers thing, is another one that they people well, and bring. like if you listen to kendrick lamar's damn that's a concept about the problems that were going on in the world at that time i would never call kendrick lamar a prog rock artist he's a hip-hop artist maybe yes. the greatest hip-hop artist of all time I wouldn't call Janelle Monet progressive rock. I wouldn't call. I've seen drive-by truckers. They don't look like they're a prog rock band. So I, I don't know that. I feel like that's unfair. Genres aside, it's un, but it's unfair to put bands like that in this prog rock category. I think because progressive rock is so niche and different that I think people just want to shoehorn stuff in there. Let's I mean, get- you could call <laughs> Little Yachty's new album prog rock. He's a hip-hop artist. He did, like, a psychedelic record. I'm surprised people aren't calling that prog rock. Well, and again, I go back to there's a wide net. These two albums I'm going to talk about have similarities in the kind of the structure of prog rock, but their sound is wildly different. And I'm going to play a few clips to kind of show. Let's talk about uh, Jeffrey Wang, okay? 
who's That's still right. alive. He and you want to talk about somebody who has had an incredible career, who's been a very, very successful human being, but probably is known for only one thing. And that one thing, it's worth it. It it is great, but I almost feel bad for the guy there. What did Gustav Eiffel, the guy that made the Eiffel Tower, said, the tower is probably more famous than myself? This is that's true. This is Jeff (laughs) Wayne. So a little bit about Jeff Wayne. He was actually born in the United States, but grew up in Britain. Very kind of British fellow. Helped compose the score for his father, did a musical called Two Cities. It was based on uh, Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. And it won some awards. He got some known. He did some, like, jingles for, like, British companies. I think one of them was a gin company. And then one day he sat down and he read H.G. Wells' book, The War of the Worlds. Now, Mm -hmm. do you know anything about this book? Yeah, I'm familiar. They okay. made a couple movies out of it. I Aliens come down to Earth and take over. Yeah, in the most simplest of sense yeah. is things from Mars, aliens from yeah. Mars come in, and they have these big metal machines called tripods, a big head with the three legs, and they just yeah. literally vaporize everybody, kill everybody. Simpsons do a great uh, ha- Halloween episode yes. about it. And at the end of the day, they are felled by bacteria on Earth because they weren't used to it. They die, and the human race wins because the Martians were stupid and died, not because they beat them in any ways. And the book, it is actually a very good book. It's very, one of the main characters is a religious person, the parson, who H.G. Wells is basically telling you religion is stupid. Another one of the famous characters is the artillery man, so he represents a military, and H.G. Wells is telling you the military is stupid. And this book's written in the 1890s. It's the first book mm-hmm. that ever the Martians used something called the heat ray, which is the first mm-hmm. instance of ever seeing a laser or something like that in popular culture. The book or the story became kind of famous in the 1930s when Orson Welles on Halloween did a radio play of it, and yep. people thought it was real. And yeah, it caused that's the Simpsons <laughs> yes. episode I'm referring to. Yeah. It caused a huge panic. Well, Jeff Wayne sat, read this book, has a musical background, and thought, I'm going to make music behind it. And he decided to, on his own, you know, just score this whole thing based on the War of the Worlds. And, and it was huge. He, as a matter of fact, like he took 24 track decks, took two of them, and recorded different things on each one and combined them. So it was the first thing that had 48 different tracks. On wow. one piece of music, he really, I mean, he was very well known, very successful. So he could get access to some famous people and went and sought out Richard Burton, who I don't know if you know who Richard Burton is. Why is that name familiar to me? He's an extremely, and I mean, extremely famous actor, British actor from like the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I know he, the name. Yeah, he was married to Elizabeth Taylor, I think, two or three times. But has an incredibly iconic name and went and basically convinced Richard Burton on the spot to do the narration of it. And before I play some clips, I'm going to give you kind of a breakdown of how the thing, you know, this is a concept album. This is a prog rock. And what I mean by prog rock is that it it uses all these different um, genres. And the first clip I'm going to play, you're going to hear a few of them. It's a lot of narration, a lot of Richard Burton narrating the story as the, the like main character from War of the Worlds. And then Every now and then a few other people come come in and do some singing. The thing about this, and as a matter of fact, the album is titled Jeff Wayne's Musical Version of the War of the World. So Yep, I saw it on <laughs> So he did all that stuff. Now I sent you the picture of the mm-hmm. album cover, and yep. it's this very I mean, 
iconic. It's red, dude. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it's very. It's ha- it goes like you look at Court of the Crimson King, or you look at uh-huh. uh, most of these prog rock albums. I'm talking about like Kilroy was here from Styx or Twenty One Twelve from Rush. Which sidebar on Rush? If you go listen to Twenty One Twelve and you listen to that first song, you're like, this band kicks all kinds of ass. And then the sure. second song. And you have to indulge me here for a moment, but you hear Getty Lee screech out, We are the priest of the temple of Syrinx. That is when you either love or hate that album. Because it was, a, well, <laughs> you mentioned Rush, and I was listening to um, Scott Ackerman talk on a podcast. And I think, because I don't like Rush at all. And Scott, I think Scott Ackerman put it right. He said that with, with Getty Lee, his voice is more musical theater than rock and roll, and the band Rush is a rock and roll band. Yes. So that's kind of how I look at Russ. So I think Scott, all credit to Scott Alkerman for that, that Getty Lee is a musical theater guy who just fronted a rock band. Yeah. Those albums, they're about, uh, most of these prog rock concept albums, I think even King Crimson, is basically about how society has fallen apart and then some dude finds a guitar and saves the world. Yeah, that's the wall. Also. <laughs> yes, like, yes, that's exactly yeah. it. Whereas War of the World is about the world ending. It's about the yeah. Martians coming and destroying all of humanity and then being felled by basic bacteria. And even, well, I'll get to the end of it in a minute, but Jeff Wayne gets all this stuff together, gets a big deal together, turns it, has this double album that comes out. And Ty, I'm going to play, like I said, I'm going to play you a few clips. The first is the mm-hmm. very, very beginning. And this clip is, is almost two minutes long, but it's going to give you an idea of the mood and the style of what you have following you for the next 90 minutes. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century, that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. So you get an idea of the scale of what you're working with here. Yeah, I think so. It's funny, too. Two two things I gleaned from this is that narration when I was a kid used to scare me all the mm-hmm. time when I'd hear somebody talking like that. Like, I, I love a show like Twilight Zone now, but I can never watch it when our folks did because what's his name? Whoever the host of that show was used to freak me out. Or the same thing with uh, America's Most Wanted. 
the guy who hosts that, they kind yeah. of have that same talking. So that stuff used to used to terrify me when I was a kid. And I think I, that's one reason why I never heard what you just played. And also, you've seen the movie Walk Hard, right? Yes. When that music comes in, that reminds me of when he's making his concept album. <laughs> and then he keeps saying, we need more didgeridoos. That's kind of what I imagine <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah. this Jeff Wayne gentleman was doing. So those are the two feelings I got from him. Yeah, and the name of that song's The Eve of War. So and it's, uh, it's, I think, 12 minutes long. And Jeez so Louise, it, that is so long. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, but it definitely shows you all the different mixtures. It sounds almost like an orchestra at the beginning. And then it's yeah. bringing in some guitars and some synthesizers. And like you said, didgeridoos or whatever the hell. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, we're talking about 48 tracks. And you do, you have throughout the course of the whole thing, you have that Richard Burton narration that comes up every yeah. now and then to tell you the story, which I'm going to say this for it. It was very, very. Well, if you've never read War of the Worlds and this is your only introduction to it, you're going to completely understand the story. I mean, like I said, it's about 90 minutes, a whole album. I would say maybe 20 to 30 minutes of speaking, and it gets you that story. I would never call it like a musical theater production, which I'll talk about as production in a moment here, Mm -hmm. because it's an album. It's a rock album. It's something more you're going to see at an orchestra or something like that. So it also sounds like uh, people will know who listen to gorillas, but yes. the gorillas have their record where Dennis Hopper is speaking over a full yes. song. Yes. And I dig that song, but I couldn't listen to a full album of that. No, no. Maybe that's another reason why I've been pushed off from, again, not all prog rock. I mm-hmm. do like some King Crimson. I love, and I kid you not, I love Mars Volta, but it's the same reason why I don't listen to jam bands anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too long and I'm too old <laughs> and I'm too cranky to listen to stuff for that long anymore. Two other sound clips I want to play from this, because, again, I encourage people to, to it's it, I mean, I've listened to the album on Apple Music. It's um, it's on Spotify. It's on the other stuff. The two other sounds is because there is I'm not giving it justice to the entire thing, but I did want to play something that I think Jeff Wayne did really, really well is not only in this description of the Martians and the the way Richard Burton uses his voice to to show fear and resignation, but the mm-hmm. sounds he uses for the Martians during the course. Now, again, this is like the music, except for the very beginning when you hear Richard Burton speaking, the music in this whole thing never stops. It's constantly oh, just good. Yeah. Even the, when they go from track to track, the music yes, is still going? Yeah, okay. it is just constant. But when you first see, and like in the story, the Martian comes out first and then they build the machine, and the machines, the way H.G. Wells describes it, is just this horrendous, frightening sound. So I'm going to give you Jeff Wayne's version of this sound, Ty. All five fighting machines exulted, emitting deafening howls which roared like thunder. And I will tell you, while you're listening to this album, the way the levels and everything are... You hear again Richard Burton's voice come, and then you hear that I don't think they're saying "move along" or something in this weird uh, mechanical sound, but just this loud booming voice. I mean, it's atmospheric; it works really well. So, when did this record come out? Nineteen seventy-eight. So, synthesizers were around. I wonder, is that all synth? Did he use yes, something yeah. with drums? So, it's, so there's no other thing. It's all synthesizer. Not the whole, no, no. This whole thing was uh, when they go on tour with it. It's like a full hundred-piece orchestra. But, so I wonder how they do that in, in the orchestra, the move along. Yeah, part. no, I don't know. Well, it, that's not even the most alien sound I'm going to play for you. That comes next. What? Okay. <laughs> so during the course of it, you'll hear, like, when the machines, the Martians are moving, you'll hear that. <laughs> 
spoiler for a book that's over 100 years old, people. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you need a spoiler <laughs> War of the Worlds at this point. So basically, at the end, when the narrator is is like he's trying to find his wife or something like that. And they go through this terror of the night where the religious person, the parson, is picked up. I mean, the, he's watching the aliens grab people and suck their blood out and feed on it. Oh, and, my God. Oh, yeah. It's a gruesome tale. <laughs> there yeah, was a, I, I, I did want to bring up, there was a Steven Spielberg movie uh, about 15 yeah. years ago. Which, Keanu. Keanu. No, Reeves, no, no, right? no. That's a, You're thinking of... Um, what what the day the earth stood still oh no. yeah, yeah this has yeah. tom cruise in it had dakota oh, fanning yeah. i know exactly yeah. About, yeah i will tell you this the first off tom cruise is great in it the opening scene or the first scene with the alien tripod is absolutely amazing um okay. there's a famous scene in the book where people are trying to get away on a boat and the tripods come and vaporize the boat that's wow. excellent having said that outside of tom cruise in those few scenes that is a terrible movie Okay. <laughs> I mean, a dumb movie. I wanted to, because I know some people are going to be like, oh, what about the Steven Spielberg movie? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, basically, like the end of all of these things, the main character wakes up the next morning and he sees a bunch of tripods that are silent or that are just still. They're not they're not killing people anymore. One of them, he sees uh, birds picking apart a Martian inside the machine that it's dead. And that's when he realizes that bacteria has killed all the Martians. But I'm going to play for you the noise the Martians make while they're dying. I stopped, staring towards the sound. It seemed as if that mighty desert of houses had found a voice for its fear and solitude. So, yeah, that's the sound of the aliens dying. It sounds like slide guitar. <laughs> yeah, it could very <laughs> it's, well be. It's very Pink Floyd-esque <laughs> what it sounded like there, but it it's also very alien, and the dude... Jeff Wayne nailed the music on this. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. and I, like I did say, the... The second half, weirdly, for like 20 minutes, almost goes into a musical theater thing. There's uh, the parson and his wife singing against each other and him screaming about how they're demons from the devil. And she's like, you're crazy. And the main guy's <laughs> like, this is a problem with religion, people. These are This is real. We can see it. And you can't just make up religion. And then the part with, with the military man who's like, I'm going to. There's a great line in it where he's like, the uh, the artillery man's like, we're going to rebuild society underground. Let me show you what I've done. And the Richard Burton says, he what he dug in a week, I could have done in the day. It looks like this man's talent doesn't reach his dreams. It definitely has that kind of feel to it. Now, out, like I said, the album was released in 1978 at the London Planetarium, and there was a laser show to accompany it. That is the perfect way <laughs> to release this. You know, it was kind of not well known. A couple of people would talk about it here and there. It'd be brought up in in like, hey, have you ever heard of this album kind of thing? Yep. But it became huge in Britain. And I mean huge. It came to a point in 2011, Jeff Wayne decided to remaster the thing, add a little bit of stuff and go on tour. And he got Liam Neeson to do the voice Ooh. of the main character. And the thing uh -huh. has been, Going on tour with like a, like a video screen in the background and animatronics. And I, I mean, Ty, I never heard of this thing till a week ago. 
I haven't heard of it until you started talking about it on this podcast record. Now, a lot of people said they didn't like the 2011 version. It it was more synth heavy. I've listened to it. It is a little bit more jarring, but everybody liked Liam Neeson. So it was um, it's going on tour as it was. I think it was uh, last year still going on tour where they have a hologram of Liam Neeson on stage doing his narration. I mean, it's a big, big, big deal. And like I said, Jeff Wayne, he ended up doing something called Jeff Wayne's musical version of Spartacus that I can't find anywhere. Um, he's, He's been very successful, not just in music. He's done a string of like tennis documentaries. And he's well known really? and like, yeah, very, he's written books on tennis. The guy's had a great career, but at the end of the day, the thing he is, the thing that's going to be the first line in his obituary is Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds. Yeah, you know, it's almost akin to John Heater. John yes. Heater, <laughs> yes. people, if you don't know that name, that's who played Napoleon Dynamite and Napoleon Dynamite. He went on and he did other things, but that's all he's going to be remembered for. And you know what? People who get to that level make this stuff that are professionals at their stuff. I don't think that's such a bad thing. No. I mean, I know you can look at, God, what's that band? Millie Vanilli. You can look at them and read their story, and that's real sad, and the whole one-hit wonder thing. But then look at other one-hit wonders or the Macarena people or stuff like that. I, if you're known for one thing and something that seems so expansive and regarded as this War of the Worlds, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, I, I wouldn't be upset if that was my career. I wouldn't no. be upset if I were John Heater either, and that was my career. Hello all, this is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because She talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, let's talk about the Bible. No, I don't want to. I stopped going to church when I was 18 with you for a reason. We walked out of Mass when you kept talking about money for the church. Yep. So at the very end of the Christian Catholic Bible, there is something called the Book of Revelation, the Revelation mm-hmm. of St. John, I believe, which okay. describes the end of the world. So that's going to The lead- Bible is, real quick, <laughs> yes. the Bible is full of science fiction, murder, sexual assault, sex. Like, why do Christians are so 
glued to this book that is filled with all the stuff they're not supposed to. Oh, like. one of these uh, dumbass states, I think like Tennessee, that likes banning pornography. The way they wrote their law, the Bible's actually banned. And somebody brought oh. that up, and they're like, oh, uh, uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry to go on that little Yeah, <laughs> no. But the Book of Revelation, it's where we get the concept of the lake of fire and the seven seals and the beast and the number 666 and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it is basically the world just burns as it gets destroyed in, like, the biggest action movie set piece ever made. And then it's reborn into a new Eden or whatever, something like that. Uh, sorry, this isn't the Bible hour here with the ex-millennial man, so that's all you're going to get from me. But yeah. it, it is definitely after, uh, as Homer would say, a preachy book. Everybody's a sin except this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I forgot he said that. That's such a great line. Yeah. One of my favorite lines from The Simpsons ever. Yeah. But the the book of Revelation is, is, like I said, a huge, massive action set piece. And as a kid, as a teenager, all this stuff is the only part of the Bible that I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's what they did with This is the End. That's essentially what they did yeah. with that Seth Rogen movie, This yeah. is the End. Yeah, and there was the, yeah. the uh, whatchamacallit, there was a, the Neil Gaiman series that was on Amazon that I watched during oh. the pandemic, Good Omens. Good Omens, yeah. yeah. Kind of a well-known story. How does this relate to the movie Blade Runner Die? The Bible? Yes. <laughs> the Book of Revelations. Uh, the science fiction part of it, I guess? I have no idea. So, and I am going to say this completely wrong. For everybody that thinks I can say only European names correctly, this is a Greek name. All right? Gentleman by the name of Evangelos Odysseus Papathanousis, I think. Okay. Otherwise known as Vangelis. He Vangelis? Is a, yes. He did okay. the score for the movie Blade Runner. He also did the score okay. for the movie Chariots of Fire, which he won an Oscar for. I'm not going to play that clip because you all know what the hell it is, and I don't <laughs> need to do that. But before Evangelist was a well-known movie film composer, he also did like 1492 Conquest of Paradise. He did Carl Sagan's Cosmos. He did the movie Alexander. I mean, okay. you know, a well-known guy. He passed away just last year, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. But but Evangelist was known as, you know, uh, like a John Williams of his time. But before that, the he was... The score for Blade Runner's rad. Oh, yeah. So, totally right awesome. Right. No, no. Evangelist yeah. is the man. No, don't get me wrong. He is... It's funny, he won the Oscar for Chariots of Fire, yet when some institute did like the best film scores of all time, Blade Runner beat Chariots of Fire. Nice. So, awesome. <laughs> um, but before all that, he was in a, a band, a Greek band called Aphrodite's Child. He played keyboards and flutes. Again, <laughs> prog rock. So you're going to have a <laughs> yep. lot of that stuff. Give me more didgeridoos. Yeah. And in the words of doing Yes. Rocks. And Aphrodite's <laughs> Child was, you know, they were a progressive rock band. They were kind of successful. Again, I never heard of these people till I was in high school, but they were kind of successful in Europe at the time. And then Vangelis decided he wanted to make the third album. So they're doing well. He wanted to make an album based off the Book of Revelations. And he okay. wanted to call it 666. Now, sure. here, this is that album. It is, uh, for people, it, it says <laughs> Aphrodite's Child, there's some writing, and then there's three, six, three white sixes with a black background. Yes, and there's, it's hard for you to see, but right above the uh, 666, it says, anyone who has intelligence may interpret the number of the beast. It is a man's number, that number is, and then it says 666. Okay. The making of this album, because Vangelis, you, I'm glad you brought up Walk Hard, because that's written in my notes. Supposedly, oh, okay. he was like Dewey Cox when they were making this album. 
Awesome. All and right, his, I love it. And his other two band members absolutely hated him. And it was like, and the band broke <laughs> up afterwards. Uh, but oh, wow. you're going to put out an album called 666. Now, and I'm mm. cheating a little bit because this is before our time, but it has a lot to do with me growing up. When it, did the album it, come It was out? released in 1972. Okay. Vangelis talked about how he wanted a, a really weird style to the album, and he used the movies Rashomon, Intolerance, and the Beatles Sgt. Peppers as influences in creating this album. I've only seen one of those movies, and I do not like Sgt. Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom, if you're listening to this. I know Mom loved that movie. Yeah. I do not like that movie. Vangelis just had this idea for this album, and merging all these different and when i talk about where jeff wayne's war of the worlds is very like i said orca like orca orchestral or i can't whatever orchestral Um, yes thank you (laughs) this is a little bit more of a rock album but it has a lot of different styles and i'm going to play a few clips that are going to highlight some of those styles including well when i get to that song i'll talk more about it (laughs) um there's a lot of things like the very the thing that starts with this kind of weird chanting and the only word I can really understand the system. The album is in English except for one part, but it's actually what they're saying. And this is why I'm not going to play it is they're saying we got the system to F the system. OK, so it was inspired by Abby Hoffman's writings of the time. I guess Vangelis said he wanted to imagine that people were at a circus and the apocalypse was happening around them. So after you have this chanting, here's how this album kicks in. So outside of the kind of weird singing, it's pretty traditional. I could definitely vibe with that. Like I could, <laughs> I could see myself more so listening to this than listening to the War of the Worlds one because that is that's what I imagine Rush would sound like if they had a good singer. And I know a lot of people like Rush, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. I'm going so I know, hard on I, Rush. Look, I'll tell you right now, there's a like few Rush. of my friends that are going to be screaming at us about our <laughs> Rush hate. So go ahead, but. I would much rather listen to Aphrodite's Child than Rush, and I could see myself listening to this record definitely more so than the War of the Worlds one. You might think differently at different times of uh, okay, <laughs> what I right. play. But, well, the last one's just strange, but again, I'll talk about sure. that when I get I to I like it. strange music. Yeah. He does, and you go in, I, it was a friend of mine, a friend of mine who who right now is a baby brain doctor in Kansas City who actually first introduced me to this album and again being a he's he's a, a weird dude but he has some very good taste oh yeah, yeah. I, know, I know this gentleman as well so. yeah and again we're a couple of teenage boys that like play Dungeons and Dragons and we want to worship Satan and all that stuff because that's what everybody said a red album cover with the number six 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 in the middle is going to attract us little did I know that I discovered a pretty rocking album at least two thirds of it's yeah. pretty damn rocking album album sure and i i knew the chariots of fire theme song i knew the blade runner stuff so when somebody said oh this is the same guy that did this this is his first part it's like wow okay that's cool well i told you aphrodite's child broke up during the making of this album a lot of different people came in it's still credited as their final album but it was you know evangelist had these ideas he wanted to just 
so many different genres. One of the points that he told the lead singer of the band that there's a song he wanted to do, but he had to sing it two different ways. So I'm going to play a piece of that song, okay? This, this is Dewey Cox, <laughs> yes. man. I wonder, I wonder if John C. Riley and the writing team listened to this record and got ideas from I, that. They very well could have. Because <laughs> a lot of people say it's bra- it's based off of Brian Williams and Smile and stuff like that. Sure. But the making of the with Smile, it just it got stopped because Brian Williams had mental issues that he was uh-huh, trying to yeah. fix. This is literally a crazy man, an obviously uh-huh. talented crazy man yeah. trying to make a masterpiece and almost accidentally stumbling in. So here's that song with the singer singing two different styles called The Beast. Who can find the beast? I love that song. Again, this is an audio medium, so people can't see. I was nodding my head when that guitar came in with a wah pedal. I mouthed, oh my, when I heard it. So I, I dig that a ton. That's some of the. That's one of the best songs you ever played together on this podcast. I don't want to. It's, it's like got a hip hop sound with the drum groove. And him saying who can find the beast and then saying stuff. And then that guitar comes in like, come on, man. I love that. I, I vibe with that all day long. So while you're on your high, I'm going to take you down a little bit now. <laughs> oh, you thought I was going to? Okay. All right. <laughs> so in the 30 plus years since I first heard this album, I have always assumed something about this next song I'm going to play for you. Like, I, like most of these prog rock albums or concept albums, this is telling a story. So there's an intermission. Like in Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, there's a point where you hear Richard Burton says, the Martians have taken over the planet. And that is definitively the end of part one. And then you go into part two. I'm going to play for you in its entirety. The song is called, I believe, Ophis. I'm going to play it. It's not that long. I'm going to play it in its entirety and then get your view. That's the song? Yeah. Uh, that, um, <laughs> I couldn't really understand what he was saying. <laughs> I feel like there was probably some psychedelics going on, and <laughs> he just decided he needed a break. Again, the Dewey Cox parallels to when he's writing his opus or whatever yep. are eerie. Like, this is, again, I feel like with this album, I've liked the two songs. This one's weird, but I feel like it's a me. It's it's necessary with this record. But that some odd stuff that I, I don't know what's going on. For thirty years, I thought the song was backwards. I thought it was yeah. So and I I looked it up when I was doing research for this. I looked up what it really means. It's not backwards. It's in Greek. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I did not know that it actually comes from a from a Greek play called. Alexander the Great and Cursed Serpent, and it translates okay. into, oh, you cursed serpent, come out, because if you didn't come out yourself, I would make you come out, oh, oh, oh. Uh, 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 all right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is tonally, like, again, I played all that stuff. I mean, that, those are all the first part. Tonally, it is beyond weird. Yeah, and it's nuts. 
and I will tell you the song. I, I don't have the the sound clip to it, but the very next song, Seven Trumpets, it starts off with like a narration, and then you want to talk about a rock song. It just builds. It, it reminds me, you know what it reminds me of is uh, the song on Kid A, Radiohead's Kid A, uh, American Anthem. Uh-huh. It's just a song that just builds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, and it's it's incredible. It's an incredible, incredible song. When when it's called the national anthem. Again, yeah, I that's want it. people to ask. Yes. But when the drums kick in on the national anthem, that song, like I even to this day in my car, I start rocking out. Cause that song, you're right. That song is such a slow build that mm-hmm. comes to this great, just epic build of all of Radiohead playing the music. So again. If this is on this Aphrodite's Child record, I'm more than willing to listen to it. Well, then there's another song, and then there's a song. It, it's people called Infinity. On the album, it's just listed as the Infinity symbol, no real name. Uh, this was the song that uh, the other members of Aphrodite's Child were like, okay, you've lost your goddamn mind. I'm not dealing with you anymore. <laughs> I will tell you, Ty, on an album I really like, and I mean, I'll mm-hmm. talk about the song after this, I skip this song every single time. I'm a big proponent of not skipping songs, <laughs> so I'm curious to see what, what this sounds like. Okay, first off, the song, and I'm probably exaggerating when I say this, but I think it goes on for like five or six minutes. And wow, okay. and I'm going to play you a clip, a short clip, which is the only words of the whole song, but it's through the whole song. It's said again and again and again and again. Okay. Supposedly, Vangelis wanted this song to be like 45 minutes long and the rest of the band. And when you hear this, you're going to be like the rest of the band and like, okay, you've lost your GD mind. We are not doing this. Who's going to make a 45 minute long song anyway. That's well, nuts. wait till you hear it. So here is All what right. is, here's a piece and I'm picking it up halfway through. And I'm going to tell you, Ty, you are not prepared for this. Okay. <laughs> All right. I might have to put a warning, a parental warning on our podcast. So, <laughs> Okay. Take a listen. <laughs> and then it goes on for another like four minutes. It sounds like he is uh pleasuring himself i guess is the best way <laughs> it's a woman's voice it's but it oh, the whole song is. yeah the whole song and it starts off low and then it gets really excitable then it slows down and then it gets really excitable again and the only thing she says is i was i am i am to come i was over and over and over again uh, yeah i can i'm scratching my head i can see why you skip that because there are some records again i like to listen to records from start to finish i'm usually pretty vigilant about it but there are like speaking of radiohead and this might upset some radiohead fans too i'm a big radiohead fan i always get fitter happier on yeah i think it's okay computer yeah because there's no reason for me to listen to that i understand that's like there this is the middle part of the record or whatnot so yeah, I you know they talk about it with creatives and with like creative geniuses that they're all a little nuts Clearly, this, I mean, this guy's scored some of the best movies, <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time. But it seems like with this record, I can see you're right. I 100% agree with the band members. Like, all right, we, <laughs> we need to get away from this. That, it, that's probably not fun. This, this seems like this project was a good idea, band, and then it just became his thing. And he yes. kind of 
got rid of everybody else. Yeah, and even if you, it says Aphrodite's Child 666, but it says in the, the bottom, it says composed by Evangelist Papathanusis. Again, I'm sorry, I can't mm-hmm. say it. Right, yeah, it's definitely Evangelist album. I think a lot of people, even though it's Aphrodite's Child, and again, this is only the third album. It wasn't a band that was around for a very long time. And I know the other band members went on to success, too. But okay. after that song, there's a, there's another song. It's, it's a little bit slower. It's, it's, you know, it's not bad. And I don't mean like ballad slower. And then it basically ends. There's a song after this, but ends with this song called All the Seats Were Occupied. Now, I might be exaggerating when I say this, but this song is easily 15 minutes long. Jeez. But what it is, and this is kind of the the weird genius of it, is it takes every single song that you've heard so far and it starts layering them all on top of each other. Okay. And it just turns into this it, – it, it sounds fine. It doesn't sound chaotic, but it turns into this just lyrical I'm, – I'm talking time. I'm talking about like 10 different musical versions – all playing at the same time, and you hear a giant crash. And then you just hear a guy like he's on an intercom says, all the seats were occupied. And then it turns into just mass chaos. And I'm telling you, when you listen to this album, and you know it's talking about the end of the world, the Mm -hmm. biblical end of the world, and it talks about all the things. It talks about the beast, and it talks about the four horsemen, and it talks about all this other stuff. You literally believe that you are so (laughs) invested in this when this song is over that you have just witnessed the end of the world. Wow, okay. And then at the very end, there's this nice little, like, two-minute, easygoing song that could have been sung by Air Supply or somebody, but better, <laughs> just about how everything's okay. As a matter of huh. fact, it's, uh, you're going to make it, and then you hear some dude in the background go, shadow-dee-dee-dee, and, <laughs> it's, and it's, it's just like, everything's okay, the music ends, and then you just hear a guy say, do it, and that's it. That's your album. Just, just says, do it? Yep. And it's over. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is more like, again, I full disclosure, I probably won't listen to the War of the Worlds one. I will 100%. Oh, you should. I think you would like this more. It's why I put this one second. (laughs) Well, and it's pure. I just want to know. I'm fascinated with what you've told me and what I've heard so far. So I just want to know what the rest of the record sounds like. (laughs) I, I will tell you, because again, it's an album I actually, I sought out. There's not a reprint of it. I sought it out. I went and the one I have is all kind of my vinyl, because of course I have to have it. Mm-hmm. it it's all kind of beat up. You could tell the uh, the cover has had water damage. The records themselves are fine. But it's one of these albums that I think it's even hard to find like CDs of it. But like, I know it's on Apple Music. I know it's on Spotify. Yeah, It is uh, Beck in his song Chemtrails for Modern Guilt. He samples mm. from this album. Oh, okay. So it's 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 an album that people have have they know about. They've come to. My point is, it's this big progressive rock album. But I chose these two in particular because I wanted to talk about the end of the world. Is uh, yeah. you know, something like and I love Aphrodite's Child, but something like Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds. That's a hard thing to say, but um. <laughs> you know, it appeals to me because I like synth heavy music and yeah, I like that. Kind you always of, have. Right. And it, but I knew and it's more theatric, whereas mm-hmm. Aphrodite's Child, I thought, would appeal more to you because it's more yes. it's got more of that. Dirt. You know, as a matter of fact, I thought if somebody who could if they wanted to make it 
not as insane. I often thought of like the Black Keys as a band I thought of with some 100%. of the, the yes. I, grunge is the wrong word, but the no, it's it's blues yes. garage rock. Yeah, blues garage rock is what I would call it. Yeah, they could do that. You know I, who another <laughs> band I think would have fun with that record is um the Strokes. Yes, or just even Beck because Beck is a weird dude who could mm-hmm. probably play all that stuff himself. It was an album that I think when it came out, I will totally agree with this because of its weird nature. It's it's <laughs> red cover with 666. A lot of people yeah. didn't go out and review it. But sure. one of the things in here, one of the reviews did say that uh, they applaud it for its ambition and execution. The entire set eventually becomes a bit too overwhelming to sit through. <laughs> <laughs> and I can get that. I, so that, you know, hearing hearing what I heard, too, I bet you there will be times where I will listen to it. And I will have to stop, take a break, and then go back. To yeah, and this is, whereas War of the Worlds, like I said, is about 90 minutes. I think this is closer to like two hours. Holy cow. I mean, it's a long record. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> and some of the, like the Infinity song, I, I, I listen to it on vinyl. And I will get up and take the needle and move it past that song. Oh, I just, so you're doing it the old-fashioned yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I haven't <laughs> I haven't put it in any of my streaming services yet, but that's the only song I'll, I'll really, really skip. Okay. But it's it's a it's something, you know, this is a type of thing you run to, you were on to. This is the kind of album I was, you run to. You and I are recording this on a day where I would run after we're done. Maybe that's what I listen to when <laughs> yeah. I go run. I've been listening to War of the Worlds and run up to this, and I listened to the, this last night at my son's track meet because he runs the 1600, which is like an hour and a half into the track meet, and then sometimes he runs the <laughs> 8 or the 400, which is like another hour later. So I'm sitting around yeah. a lot. <laughs> Got a lot of time on your hands while you're there. Yeah, I mean, and the last thing I want to say about this album is Evangelist took this album to Salvatore Dali at a party. <laughs> perfect person to take it to i and, bet you salvador dolly loved it no but even though dolly was like oh this is interesting this is great but i think something happened i think vangelis was so insane in making this that he pissed off dolly probably and it <laughs> seems like he was so i wonder if at the time he thought this is going to be my life's work and everybody's gonna love it and when he didn't get the reception and his band broke up he was probably devastated yeah yeah <laughs> it's, whereas jeff wayne is Still getting drinks based off something he did in 1978. Evangelist took his child that nobody loved and turned it into Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's, I mean, again, the score to Blade Runner, it's like Daft Punk before Daft Punk. It yes. is so awesome. All right, Ty. Well, there's there's the musical soundtrack to the end of the world. So You know, and I will say... Again, full disclosure for you. You told me that what we were going to be talking about today. I was like, I'm not going to have anything to talk about. <laughs> you proved me wrong because no. I am fascinated by what I heard. Yeah. So uh, if uh, people need to find you to get you to their their uh, their release party for their remake of 666, where are they going to find? There's no way in hell anybody could do that today. They would have to call <laughs> no. it like the Gospel of St. John or something stupid. But or <laughs> it would have to be a tribute to Aphrodite's yes. child record. Yes. Like, they wouldn't be able to call it that. Yeah, no, uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. 
can come read my stuff on SeedSing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I do all the pop culture, sports writing on there. I'm sure I'll be writing about Aphrodite's child now after <laughs> hearing that today. So come check that out, SeedSing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. You can hear me on my buddy Glenn Adams' podcast, Chucklehead Chat. I'm on a couple of those episodes, but listen to it otherwise. He's really good at what he does. I'm a big fan of his podcast. Most importantly, you can hear me on this podcast, the x Land podcast. Rate, review us, tell your friends about us, check out our Patreon. And I'm going to start saying this now. We need gun reform. Trans rights need to be better. And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I won't go off again until I have to, which <laughs> well, I, unfortunately... I do want to go off because Kirk, who's a sometime contributor, he told me that some teachers in Kirkwood got fired for for talking about their being transgendered or being non-binary. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. That's awful. That shouldn't happen. That's discrimination. That's racism. Things like this shouldn't happen. People should be able to live their true selves, should be, be the person that they think they are. We are not the government, the school board, the district. They're not one to tell you what gender you are. You know what gender you are. That's your decision. That's your body. You live that gender. What is happening in that school district and my school district and a lot of school districts, what's happening in Missouri is wrong. The people who are making putting these laws into place are wrong. Missouri is a backwater state now, and it frustrates me. Let people be themselves. Not everybody needs a GD gun in their life. Let people live the life they want. And Black Lives Matter. It's mm. simple stuff, people. Yeah, it's not like we're saying your life doesn't matter and only Black no, Lives Matter. It's yeah. like, you know what, for, for a time in 500-something years, maybe it's time to acknowledge that yeah. People have agency, be they black, be they transgender, be they whatever the hell they are. What's it hurting you? How's exactly. it hurting and you? <laughs> anyway. These alt-right people who are like, oh, we don't have a mental health crisis in this country. We do because of stupid people like you. Let people be who they want to be and protect people. That's all I'm asking. No. Oh, that's Sorry. No, that's no, 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 don't, don't, no. Don't ever apologize <laughs> for that crap. Well. With all that being said, we thank you for years. Anything else that you use to listen to the X Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we're here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And go out, run. I'm not going to do my barbecue tonight because I don't want to set the city on fire. But if it is set on fire, no, I just can't. I can't play by the rules, Todd. But you can also listen to Aphrodite's Child <laughs> as the world around you burns. That's right. So you got that going. For I just you. can't. When I put on the second album, second uh, vinyl, I can't rest though because when that song comes on, I have to get up and move the needle. So <laughs> exactly, you got you to switch that song. <laughs> All right, take it easy. You too. The X Millennial Man podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik and Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.